Hey everybody, welcome or welcome back to the Journey Church Podcast. It's Matt here, and at the end of this episode, I'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free Journey app where you can access all of our recent message content. And actually, the app's the easiest way to share all this content with a friend and to keep up with everything going on around here at Journey. Just search Journey Calway in your app store. Now, most importantly, I hope this message inspires you to take your next step in following Jesus. Have you ever been your own worst enemy? You don't have to answer that. I know you have. So have I. We've all done it, haven't we? But I don't want to start uh, by making you feel bad about yourself. So let me just tell you, you have not been your own worst enemy nearly as bad as a guy named Larry Walters. You probably have never heard of Larry, but Larry lived out in Los Angeles, and Larry found a way to take this whole concept to a whole nother level. So Larry was a big fan of flying. He had a love for flying, always wanted to fly, and Larry was also a risk taker. So one day he's sitting in his backyard in his lawn chair, and he comes up with an idea. This is a true story. He comes up with an idea. So he goes to the local Army-Navy surplus store, and he buys himself 45 weather balloons. And then he brings them back, and he calls some of his friends, and he gets his friends to come over and help him, which, if you ever wondered, does it really matter who my friends are? Yes, yes, it matters. You hope to have better friends than Larry, because they went along with this. He, he brings them over there, and what Larry does is he attaches all 45 weather balloons to his lawn chair. And Larry's goal was this. Larry thought, I think there's a way that I can float up to about 30 feet above my backyard, and I can just enjoy the view for a little while. So, he anchors his lawn chair to his Jeep, okay? Anchors his lawn chair to his Jeep. He takes all 45 weather balloons, and he fills them all up with helium. Now, I'm sure Larry's a smart guy, and he had a lot of strengths, but I'm pretty sure math and sciences were not his area because he didn't do the calculations. So, he, he fills them all up with helium, and then, true story, he straps himself into his lawn chair with what he said were some sandwiches, some Miller lights, and a pellet gun. You can see the train coming, can't you? So once he gets all of that done and he's all strapped in, he looks at his buddies and he says, okay, cut me loose. And they do, they cut him loose. But Larry doesn't lazily drift up to about 30 feet. No, no, no. Larry shot up in the Los Angeles sky like a rocket. He didn't level off at 30 feet. He didn't level off at 1,000 feet. Larry didn't level off until he had hit 16,000 feet. That is three miles if you're trying to figure that out. Three miles in the air. At which point when he got up there, Larry said, I thought to myself, you know what, I'm not so sure shooting those balloons with a pellet gun is a great idea. So he started getting smart. And for the next few hours, Larry, Larry floated around in the L.A. sky with his sandwiches, his Miller lights, and his pellet gun trying to figure out how to get back down to earth. At one point, it got so bad that Larry actually drifted across a major primary approach corridor for LAX airport. At which point, at which point, you can read the stories on this, at which point the stories tell us that the control tower said pilot after pilot after pilot began to radio in and they all started the same way. You're not going to believe this, but there's a guy in a lawn chair flying next to our plane. So eventually, after he'd been up there a few hours, Larry decided, you know what, there's only one way down. I think I'm going to have to slowly, very cautiously start shooting these balloons. So he did, and he began to descend, and it actually went pretty well until he got close to ground, and he got caught 
in a bunch of electrical lines in a Long Beach neighborhood, and he took out power for 20 miles in this Long Beach neighborhood. But he didn't get hurt. He went ahead and climbed on down. He made his way down. Unfortunately, waiting for him at the bottom was the Los Angeles Police Department. And so they cuffed him, and they went to throw him in their car and take him to jail. And as you could imagine in L.A., there was media and reporters everywhere. So this is my favorite part of the story. As, as he's being led away in handcuffs, one of the reporters shouts at him and says, Larry, why'd you do it? To which, according to the reporter, as nonchalantly as he could be, he looked back and he said, well, man just can't sit around. Okay, that's how you end up being your own worst enemy right there. Now see, you haven't done it to that level, so you should walk out of here feeling good about yourself. But we have all watched people blow it pretty big, haven't we? Come on, you got these stories and so do I. You've seen people be their own worst enemy in a really big way and blow up their careers. You've seen people do it and blow up their marriages. You've seen people do it and blow up their families. You've seen people do it and blow up their finances. And you think the same thing I think. Every time you see it, hear about it, they tell you the story, you're thinking to yourself, how could you not have seen that coming? Why in the world would you think that was a good idea? Why would you do that? But I'm telling you, while you and I think that and we think, I would never, I would never, I would never, the reality is we have the potential to be our own worst enemy just as much as anybody else that we see. And the reason I know that's true is because of this simple idea. You have participated in all your bad decisions. Do you need to think about that for a minute? This is true of you. You have participated in every bad decision you have ever made. This is how I know you can be your own worst enemy. Now, I'm not trying to pick on you because I have participated in all of my bad decisions. I shared with some of you who were here a couple weeks ago as I was telling you about this series. At the end of 2019, every single year I sit down and I review my year and I start thinking about how I spent my time and what I committed to do and, you know, all the different things that went on. I start evaluating everything. And this year I was so frustrated as I was evaluating it because I realized, oh my gosh, Matt, you contributed to almost every problem you had last year. And I started thinking if I would have just shut my mouth there or, you know, would have said something different there or would have responded differently there, I wouldn't have had a lot of the problems that I had. If I hadn't have made that decision or if I'd have changed and done that, you know. Because, again, you participate in all your bad decisions. I participate in all my bad decisions. And we all think, no, 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 we're too smart. It'll never happen to us. No, 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 it won't turn into a big deal. I can do that and it's not going to end up like everybody else ends up. But that's not true. Because again, you know this, you know that a single bad decision is always the first step towards becoming your own worst enemy. It's true, isn't it? Every mistake, every regret, every decision you think back on, you're like, what was I thinking? Why did I do that? If I could change it, I would. It started with a single bad decision that led you in a direction you really didn't want to go, but you didn't think it was going to lead you that far, and you didn't think it was going to turn out that way. It does it for other people, but it wouldn't do it for you. But every journey begins with a first step. Every habit begins with a first time. Every pattern begins with a first line. So, for the next three weeks, here's what I want to do. I want to show you three different internal cues, you might call them, Three different internal cues that if you would learn and I would learn to pay attention to these, God says it will keep us or help us avoid being our own worst enemy. Another way to think of it is there are three different what I would call preemptive habits, preemptive habits, that if you would learn and I would learn to practice these habits, 
it would help us avoid being our own worst enemy. Now, you know what a preemptive habit is. A preemptive habit is a habit that you choose to do before there's a problem to prevent there from being a problem. And you have these preventative kind of habits. You, you do them all the time. You do them this morning. You get up, you brush your teeth, not because there is a problem, but to prevent a problem. You take a shower, not because there is a problem, to prevent a problem. We, we do this all the time, okay, in a lot of different areas. But God says, no, no, when it comes to your heart, when it comes to your spiritual life, which really directs all of your life, there are some preemptive habits that if you learn, or another way to think of it, if you learn to pay attention to these internal cues, if you learn to develop these habits around these cues, it will keep you from being your own worst enemy. So today I want to introduce you to the first one, and it's simply this. We have to learn to pay attention to your fears. You have to learn to pay attention to your fears. Now, None of us like to talk about fears, and none of us want to pay attention to our fears because fear makes us uncomfortable. So we avoid our fears, we run from our fears, we ignore our fears, we hide our fears. But as you know, because you've experienced this, you can't actually outrun your fears. You can't avoid them for, forever. You can't ignore them forever. You have fears, and so do I. Now, I don't know about you ladies, because I'm not one of you. I'm not smart enough to understand you, you, but I know us men, we don't like to admit we have any fears. Okay, we, you know this too, ladies, you're like, oh yeah, that's, we already knew. We don't like to admit we have any fears. So we try to avoid it and ignore them and say, no, I'm going to do this, no, I'm going to do this. But we all have fears. And our fears follow three things. Our fears show up and follow the unknown, the uncertain, and the unexpected. Whenever you find yourself facing the unknown, I'm in this situation and I have no idea how it's going to turn out. I'm taking this treatment, but I don't know if it's going to work or not. Whenever you find yourself facing, you know, the unknown, this thing's happening at work, and I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to have what it takes. I'm not, I don't know if I'm going to figure this out. I don't know if we're going to solve this or not. Whenever you face, you face the unknown, there is fear that will rattle around in your heart. Same thing's true whenever you face the uncertain. The uncertain is, well, okay, I'm just not sure where this relationship is going. Right, everything's shifting at work, and they seem to be reorging, and I, I don't know if I'm going to have a job or not have a job. I don't know when I graduate what I'm going to do for sure. It's just uncertain. I don't know. And I don't know if I'm going to be any good. Whenever you feel uncertainty, there's going to be fear. Same thing's true for the unexpected. Whenever you get that phone call and they tell you something happened you never saw coming, whenever you're sitting down with your spouse or significant other and they drop something on you that just blindsides you, the unexpected always creates fear in your heart. This is just the way it works. Fear follows the unknown, the uncertain, and the unexpected. Now, again, none of us like to admit that we have fear, and none of us want to pay attention to our fears. But I'll tell you a little clue. Here's a, here's a, a giveaway. Here's a sign. Here's a tell, if you will, that'll help you know when you're feeling fear, even if you're not aware enough to pay attention to it. The way you know you're feeling fear is whenever you feel fear, you try to grab hold of and control something in your life. So anytime you find yourself trying to control something, it is a sign you're feeling some fear somewhere. There's some unknown, uncertain, unexpected that you're dealing with. And the reason we respond this way is because fear strips us of the illusion of control. Now, in reality, none of us have control over much of anything. And you know that because if you actually did have control, you would not have any problems. Think about that for a minute. You, you wouldn't have any problems because if you were really in control, you'd just solve it all immediately. 
But all of us go around living with this illusion of control. Oh, I'm in control of that, and I'm managing that, and I know how this is going to turn out because we think we're in control. And then the unknown, the uncertain, the unexpected pops up, and it reminds us, oh, no, that's an illusion. I'm not actually in control. And so you know what you do when you don't feel like you're in control and when you're afraid? You find something that you think you can control because it alleviates a little bit of your fear. Now, this explains, and this is free for some of you, okay? Free marriage counseling right here. This explains why, for some of you, when you get stressed and when you get afraid, you go home and you maniacally, I don't even know if that's a word, meticulously clean your house and put everything in its proper place. You know who you are. I'm one of them too, okay? You know who you are. You just go try to clean everything up because you know what you're trying to do? You're like, oh, I'm out of control here and I'm out of control here. I'm out of control here, but I'm in control of this little square footage right here. So I'm just going to grab hold of that and I'm going to get everything just like it ought to be. And then I'm going to feel better about myself. And then, because this has happened to you, it's happened to me. And then just about the time you feel like you're in control of that and you're done, you turn around and Oh, you got to be kidding me. There is a bowl sitting on the counter. And you come unglued, don't you? You come unglued and people are like, what is the problem? But it has nothing to do with the bowl. It has to do with you're trying to create this little haven of control. And some, somebody just reminded you with a bowl, you're not even in control of that. And then it's really embarrassing when you look around and you realize, nobody's home. That's my bowl. I just forgot to put it up. Then, it, then it's real embarrassing. But you don't have to tell anybody that. So anyway. That's, that's what we all do, isn't it? Some of you find other ways to do it, but you're always grabbing for control. This is what fear does to all of us. It forces us to try to gain control of something because it has stripped away the illusion that we're really in control of anything. Now, to complicate it even more, while we're trying to grab hold of this thing that we're so afraid of and control it again, along comes our Heavenly Father. And you know what He does? He invites us to trust him with whatever we're afraid of. He invites us to trust him and to follow him through the unknown, the uncertain, and the unexpected. And that is not helpful at all. You know why it's not helpful? It's not helpful because if I actually follow him and trust him with that, then that introduces even more unknown, uncertain, and unexpected into our lives, which means we have to deal with even more fear. And so again, what most of us do is we just try to control it again. We just try to control it. And I'm not going to follow because that's going to introduce more fear and more unknown and more uncertainty. I'm just going to try my best to control things on my own. Instead of surrendering control to the only one who actually has control. This is why fear is actually the arch enemy of faith. And when I say faith, I don't mean some mystical spiritual idea. I just mean trust, okay? Fear is the arch enemy of faith or trust. Now, I didn't say fear was the opposite of faith or trust. It's not. Some of you feel like, well, if I feel fear, that must mean I don't have enough faith. There could be nothing further from the truth. Fear is actually necessary and required for faith. Think of it this way. If there were no fear, that means everything would be known, certain, and expected. And when you're in an environment where everything is known, certain, and expected, you don't need to trust anything or anyone. It is all in your control if that were true. So fear isn't the opposite of faith. It's not a problem to be solved. Fear is actually necessary in order for you to demonstrate trust and faith. You don't need to demonstrate any trust if there's no fear. But I say fear is the arch enemy of your faith or your trust 
Because you know what fear does. It's done it to you and it's done it to me. Fear whispers in our ear, no, 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 you need to grab hold. You need to hold on tighter. You need to try to control. You've got to manage. You've got to make sure this turns out the way you want to turn out. And then your heavenly father comes along and says, no, 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 you don't do that. Because you're not actually in control of that anyway. So why don't you just acknowledge you're not in control and surrender control to me. I'm the only one who has control. Why don't you let go? And why don't you trust? And why don't you do what I'm inviting you to do in the middle of your fear? And then we think, I can't do that because I'm afraid. There it is again. I'm afraid that. I'm afraid if I trust God, things will get worse, not better. I'm afraid that this won't turn out the way I want it to turn out. I'm afraid he won't provide for me the way I want him to provide. I'm afraid God won't do what I want him to do. And so for so many of us, instead of trusting the one who actually does have control, we keep trying to control it ourselves, thinking we can get ourselves where we want to get us. But it never works, and it never alleviates fear. Because we don't have the power to solve the unknown, the uncertain, and the unexpected. So, if you have ever felt that tension, and I think all of us have felt it, even those of you who are not followers of Jesus, you're trying to figure it out, I mean, this is at the crux of what you're wrestling through, isn't it? Because you're thinking, okay, right now I'm, I feel like I'm in control, I want to be in control of my life, and if I choose to follow Jesus, I understand that means I surrender control to him, and you're just not sure how that's going to turn out and that you want to do that. It's, it's the fear. You have to decide how you're going to respond to it. Same thing's true if it makes you feel any better if you're not a Christian. All of us Christians still wrestle with it, so don't feel bad. We all wrestle with it too. It's like, I'm just not sure I want to trust. I'm not sure I want to surrender. So, if you've ever felt that way, and I think all of us do, if you're feeling that way right now, and most of us probably are, you shouldn't be embarrassed by that. The good news is, this is normal. But while you shouldn't be embarrassed by it, we do need to learn how to work our way through it. We need to learn, how do I pay attention to my fears and respond in a way where I'm not trying to control everything because that never works. It makes things worse, not better. Instead, I learn how to surrender control to the only one who's in control and follow him through my fear. That's what we need to learn. So what I want to do today is I want to show you a, a simple story. It's one of my favorite stories. And I've talked about it before here, but I keep coming back to it because this sto story is just so personal. It is so relatable. It, I think it lands right where all of us live. It's a story of an ordinary, everyday guy, just like us, who is going about his routine, just like all of us do. And then in the middle of that, he comes face to face with the unknown, the uncertain, and the unexpected. And what I love about stories, it's not some grand life or death thing. It just seems to be a little thing. It just seems to be a simple, just a single decision. What does it matter if he trusts or doesn't trust? But actually, as we're going to see, everything hung in the balance for him. It changed his entire life, this one simple decision in this one ordinary, everyday circumstance. So I will read you the story. And then at the end, there is an insight that we can learn from this guy that I think if we could figure this one thing out, it would help us better know how to pay attention to our fears and respond so we don't become our own worst enemy this year. So I'll show you that insight, and then we're going to talk about how it applies practically to us as well. So here's how Luke, who wrote one of the accounts of Jesus' life, here's how he says the story went. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, now there's another term for this that you may have heard. This is the same thing as the Sea of Galilee. So if you've ever heard of that, it's still there in Israel. Same place. One day, Luke says, as Jesus was standing by the Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. So picture this in your mind. This is happening just outside of a little town called Capernaum. 
Jesus is there on the beach. He's teaching people. And as he teaches, the crowd grows bigger and bigger and bigger to the point that people in the back can't hear. And then they're hollering, hey, speak up. And we couldn't understand that. And Jesus realizes, okay, I've got to find a way to, to elevate myself above the crowd so my voice will carry further. He's just trying to solve a basic public speaking problem. All right, so he looks down the beach this way. And then he looks down the beach this way, and Luke tells us as he looks, this is what he saw. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. Now, these fishermen were there every day. This was just a common sighting. It was a common occurrence. This was nothing unusual in that day. And this is how part of the reason we know this is the morning is because this is what these guys were doing. In the first century, if you weren't familiar with this, they did all their fishing at night. And the reason they did is because the only way they could really fish in terms of volume is they would take their boat out, drop a big net on the side of the boat into the water. They would drag that net through the water. They would pull it back in the boat. They would separate out whatever they caught, trash, trash fish, good fish. They would take all the good fish to the market. They would throw all the rest of it away. They would just do this over and over again. So they had to fish at night. At night, the water's cooler. More fish are near the surface where they could catch them with the nets. Middle of the day, water's hotter because of the sun. Fish go deeper. You won't catch as much. So nobody fished during the day. Everybody fished at night. They've spent an entire night, if you will, on their night shift doing their job. And now here it is early morning. Jesus is teaching. We don't know if they're paying attention to him, not paying attention to him. They're just trying to pack everything up, get everything ready so they can go home, get some sleep, turn around, do it the next night. But while they may not have been paying attention to Jesus, Jesus was paying attention to them, and he saw a solution to his problem. So Luke says that he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from shore, and then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. Now, we know Simon by a different, more familiar name. Anybody know who Simon is? What's his other name? Yeah, thank you. I knew we'd have a BBS veteran in here somewhere. That's awesome. Peter, congratulations. It's Peter. Okay, you, you've heard of Peter, but here's what I want you to remember. This is not famous guy Peter, okay? So all the things you know about Peter, you kind of have to push to the side in this story. This isn't Peter, oh, they named a cathedral after him. This isn't Peter, oh, the Catholic faith says he's the first pope. This isn't Peter, oh, he was such a big deal in Christianity. No, no, no. Peter at this point, nobody knows him except the people in his little town of Capernaum. He is an ordinary, everyday, hardworking, blue-collar fisherman. He's just like you and me. He shows up every day, he works hard, he does everything he's supposed to do, and then he goes home, gets some rest, and turns around and repeats it the next day. That's his life. It's your life. It's my life. But in the middle of this everyday routine for him, Jesus is about to invite him to do something that will introduce unknown, uncertain, and unexpected into his life. It's going to create some fear. And Peter's going to have to figure out what he's going to do with it. Am I going to try to grab hold and create control of this situation, or am I going to surrender control and trust him? So, here's how it unfolds. When Jesus had finished speaking, he looks at Peter and he says, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Well, what's the big deal with that? Well, that's part of the whole point. It's not really that big of a deal in the sense of this is a simple thing to say yes or no to. It's not life or death. There's nothing dramatic about this. What it does for Peter, though, is it's a very unusual request that causes Peter to realize, oh my goodness, if I do what he's asking me to do, there's some fears associated with this. Not huge fears. Not, you know, I'm never going to be able to figure this out fears. 
but fears. Because Peter's sitting there thinking, okay, if I do this, the way this works is I'll either end up fishing today, coming back, cleaning my nets, not getting hardly any sleep, and go back out tonight, and it's going to cost me. Or I'm going to fish today, have to clean everything up, put it away, go home and get some sleep, which is more likely, and then it's going to cost me a whole day's worth of income, which in those days was a big deal. When you're living in a world where literally they prayed, give us this day our daily bread, to miss a day's worth of income meant Peter might not be able to provide everything for his family that he wanted to. Not only that, but there's also the fear of, well, what's, what are all the other fishermen going to think about me? Everybody knows who I am, and I'm going to be out there in the middle, and they're going to be, what are you doing out? You know, it's just, so Peter's got all of this going on. Again, you think, well, that's not huge. No, no, no. It's the whole point. But it introduced the unknown, the uncertain, and the unexpected into Peter's life. There was some fear that Peter had to pay attention to, and he had to decide what he was going to do with it. And here's why I love this story so much. Peter decided to do the exact same thing that you do and I do whenever God asks us or invites us to do something and it doesn't make sense to us. Here's what he did. He looked at Jesus and he said, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. Let me translate this for you. This was a polite way of Peter looking at Jesus and saying, Hey, hey, I just listened to you teach on the boat. Good job great teacher. By the way, I, didn't, I gave you some of my extra time. I'm getting home later. You know, not going to get as much sleep. That's all right. Didn't mind doing it. Good, good job. Clearly, you're a good teacher. Um, but based on what you just asked me to do, you're a good teacher and you're a lousy fisherman. This was Peter's way of saying, Jesus, how about you stay in your lane? Would you? You know, you take care of the teaching. I'll take care of the fishing. I won't tell you how to teach. You don't tell me how to fish. Because what you're asking me to do is a terrible, terrible, terrible idea. This will never work. It makes no sense to fish during the day in bad conditions. It makes even less sense to fish during the day in bad conditions when I fished at night in favorable conditions and didn't catch anything. There's nothing about this that adds up. Now, that's why I love this, because whenever we find ourselves facing a fear and Jesus is inviting us into something that will create a sense of unknown and uncertain or unexpected, you do this and so do I. Have you ever looked at God and told him why what he wants you to do was a really bad idea? I have. It's like, do you, it's, it's like we don't think he understands the full context. God, do you not know? I can't do that because I'm saving up for this and I got this and we're going to have those bills and this might happen. I'm not sure that I've got enough and I can't do that because last time I went and talked to her, it didn't turn out well. Were you not paying attention? It didn't work out very well, so I can't do that again. And I might lose my job over that or I might lose a promotion. It's on and on. So we've all done this, haven't we? Arguing with God, trying to help him understand why his idea is a bad idea. That's what Peter does. But this is a point in the story I don't want you to miss. If you don't get anything else, just lean in for just a minute to this. In the middle of this, in the middle of this, is Peter's given Jesus all the reasons why you just don't understand. It's a terrible idea. That doesn't add up. It'll never work. In the middle of all of that, something happens in Peter's mind. And he begins to tell himself a different story or a different narrative. He begins to think about the situation differently. It is so important that you learn how to pay attention to the narratives or the stories that you're telling yourself in your mind. We're going to talk about that next week. Don't miss next week. That's so important. But something happened to Peter in this moment. He's going, Jesus, this doesn't make any sense. We worked hard on that. We hadn't caught anything. He's, he's going on and on to, to make his case. And then he pauses. And I don't know if it was because he 
began to think about something he had just heard Jesus teach. I don't know if it was because he'd been watching Jesus around this little town of Capernaum for the last couple weeks. I don't know if he remembered something Jesus had taught a few weeks before. I don't know what it was, but something happened. And Peter paused, almost in mid-sentence of making his case of saying, nope, I'm not going to do it. And he utters four words that changed everything for Peter for the rest of his life. But they were four words that came from a different perspective and a different way to deal with his fears than what was natural for him and what was natural for you and me. Here's what he said. He said, we've worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. Don't miss this. This is Peter's way of saying, Jesus, this doesn't add up. Jesus, I'm pretty certain this is not going to work. Jesus, I don't think this is going to be worth it. Jesus, this is going to cost me. Jesus, I'm not sure what's going to happen in the future, but I just don't think it's going to work out the way I want it to work out. I feel all the fears of the uncertainty and the unknown. But, because you say so, I'm not doing this because it adds up. It doesn't. I don't even think it's going to work. But I'm going to go ahead and do it. I'm going to go ahead and trust you. I'm going to stop trying to control this like I was just trying to do. And I'm going to surrender control to you. And the only reason I'm doing it, Jesus, is because you're the one who's asking me. I wouldn't do it if anybody else was asking, but I'm going to do it because you're asking. I'll throw my nets down again. Now, why would he do that? I'll tell you why I think he did it. Because something happened and Peter realized in that moment, wait a minute. I've been watching him. I've been listening. I've been paying attention. And I think there may be something different about him, but I'm actually never going to know unless I trust him. So I'm going to risk all the fear and the uncertainty of this moment to do what he asked me to do to see if he is who he claims to be. So because you say so, and only because of that, I'm going to throw down my nets, and we're just going to see what happens. Now, this is so important, because you will never, ever, ever know if you can really trust God in the middle of your fears. You'll never know if all you do is come and listen to me or somebody like me every week. You can listen to me talk about, oh, you can trust Jesus. You can listen to me talk about that every Sunday. It will not help you know you can trust him. You can open up your Bible and read your Bible every single morning and read about how trustworthy God is. It will not help you know you can trust him. You know the only way you'll ever know if you can trust God, if you, the only way you'll ever know if it's okay to surrender control, the only way you'll ever know is to actually trust him. Otherwise, you may hear what other people say and you may know what other people think, but you'll never know for yourself. And in this moment, for whatever reason, Peter decided, I'm going to quit controlling this moment. I'm going to try to surrender control, and I'm going to find out if he's in control or not and if I can trust him or not. And Peter discovered something from that one simple act of trust. It's the same thing you can discover and I can discover if we'll do the same. Here's how his story turns out. It says, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. That's a great problem for a fisherman to have. And so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And now Peter's scared about something else. He's not scared about, you know, what's going to happen if I lose my sleep and don't have income. Now he's scared, I'm going to die. 
and I'm going to die because I got so many fish in the boat that we're going to drown. And everybody's going to say, what happened to Peter? <laughs> well, he caught too many fish. I mean, what a ridiculous story. But that was, that's what's happening to them. And then Peter does something that's just as un- maybe more unusual. This is so strange. When Simon Peter saw this, Luke says he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Peter, I could understand if you look back at Jesus and said, How did you do that? That's incredible. Tell me how you did that. How did you know? Or, Thank you, Jesus. This is unbelievable. Look, we've never caught this many fish. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That was so kind of you. You know what? I'm not charging you rent for the boat when you taught a minute ago. We're just going to wave that. I'll just take the fish. You know, there, there are a lot of things that would have made sense. This doesn't make a lot of sense. But I think if we'd been there and we'd asked Peter, hey, why did you respond this way? I think he would tell us this. Well, I responded that way because in that moment, I discovered something I had never known before. I discovered a little more clearly who Jesus was. I discovered he's bigger than I thought he was. I discovered he's in control of things I didn't think any human was in control of. I discovered that I think there's, that God in human flesh is sitting in my boat right now. And so Peter suddenly was afraid again, but afraid of something very different. He was afraid of the fact that he didn't feel worthy to be in the same boat in the same place as a man who controlled the fish and the sea. He didn't feel worthy to be in the same place as God in human flesh. But that wasn't a problem for Jesus, and he dismissed that fear too. As a matter of fact, the story goes on, says, For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. I I know you're afraid now, and you're not afraid you'll lose sleep and lose income and can't provide for your family. No, no. Now you're afraid because you're in my presence. You shouldn't be afraid of that either. Don't be afraid. And then Jesus makes a statement that made no sense. No, it confused them all. They had no idea what this meant. He said, from now on, you'll fish for people. What? Yeah, yeah, you'll fish for people. You know what that means? I don't have any clue what that means. But it didn't matter to any of those guys. Why? The confusion was fine. The unknown, the uncertain, and the unexpected, they were like, you know what? We'll just live with that because what we just saw changes everything. And any guy who controls the fish in the sea, well, we figure he can control the other unknowns and the other fears and the other uncertainties of life. And so, Luke says, they pulled up their boats up on shore, they left everything, and they followed him. Wait a minute, Peter, shouldn't you at least take care of the fish first? Like, you're rich now. I think Peter would say to us, no, 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 let the other guys take care of the fish. Because something powerful had happened. You see, when Peter said, because you say so, I'll let down the nets, here's what happened. His little bitty faith, and this is so encouraging to us, he just had a tiny little bit of faith. He didn't have the faith that things were going to work out, that he was going to catch any fish. He thought it was a terrible plan. But he did it anyway simply because Jesus had asked. And that faith was all it took. And when Peter's little bitty faith intersected with God's great big faithfulness in that moment, it changed everything for him. When Peter's little bitty faith intersected with Jesus' faithfulness, he discovered, oh my goodness, God is at work in my life way closer to me than I thought he was. And he knows me way deeper than I thought he knew me. And this is far more personal than I ever thought it was going to be. And he was blown away by it enough that he was willing to follow and keep trusting, to stop controlling in that moment and to surrender control to the one who has control. Yeah, Peter, but you don't know what's going to happen next. And Don't you have plans? Nope, that's controlling. He'd say, I'm not going to control this right now. I'm just going to trust. I'm going to follow. 
And the reason he was able to do that is because of an insight. That if you and I could understand this, this is the insight Peter had in that moment. And if we could get this, it would help us so much when we pay attention to our fears. You see, the issue is never what you're afraid of. It's who you trust in. We think it's always about what we're afraid of. I got to control that. I'm so scared that we're not going to have enough. I'm so scared that when I get to retirement, I'm so scared that this relationship's going to end. I'm so scared that I'm going to end up alone and lonely for the rest of my life. So I got to do this because I just don't want to be lonely. I'm just tired of being lonely. I'm so scared I'm not going to have what it takes and I'm not going to make it and this job's not going to work out. I'm so scared. I'm so scared. And we try to control all of these things that we're afraid of. Our focus is entirely on what we're afraid of. Let me control it. Let me control it. Then I'll feel better. Then the fear will go away. And Peter's going, no, 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 I figured it out finally. It's not about what I'm afraid of in this moment. Because I can't control that anyway. It's the illusion of control. The issue is not what I'm afraid of. The issue is who I choose to trust in in this moment. Am I going to trust in me and keep trying to control things? If so, I'm going to keep having fear because deep down I know I can't really control that. Or am I willing to trust in him and surrender control to the only one who actually has control? And yet, yeah, may introduce some more uncertainty and some more fear into my life. But Peter, at that point, realized, I don't have to fear when Jesus is near. I don't have to be afraid, even though there's something to be afraid of, because he's with me. So my question to you would simply be this. I don't know how this lands. It's different for all of us. But what's that thing that you're afraid of, and you may not even be trying, acknowledging that you're afraid. You may be trying to avoid it. But what's that thing that you keep trying to control it? That relationship, that circumstance, that situation, that asset, that resource. What's the thing you're trying to control? And you're actually trying to control it because you're afraid of what's unknown, uncertain, and unexpected. What would happen? If you took God up on his invitation to surrender control and acknowledge that your control is just an illusion, so you're going to trust the one who does have control, I'll tell you what would happen. You would discover what Peter did. You would discover that Jesus can actually be trusted in the middle of your fears. You would discover that he's way closer and far more at work in your life than you thought he was. You discover that he's personal to you. But you'll never know unless you go. You'll never know unless you follow. Or you'll never know unless you let go of control. Now, here's the encouraging thing. Peter, he didn't just from that day on, get this right every time. He had moments where he would surrender control when he was afraid, and he had moments where he tried to grab control again. And he went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, until, until one morning when he was trying to control everything, he'd given up all hope. And he got a report, and he ran to a tomb, and he found it empty. And then he left, and not long after, he ran into his crucified Savior. And he had breakfast with Jesus on a beach. And he talked to him on more than one occasion. And all of a sudden he realized, oh my gosh, there's no need to fear when Jesus is near. Because if he can do that, then he can handle anything coming into my life. But it didn't start there. It started on a boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee with the simplest of requests, would you throw down your nets? 
And in that moment, Peter had no idea what hung in the balance of his decision to trust Jesus. And he could have said, no, I gave you my time to let you teach out of my boat. I'm going back. I'm going home. I'm going to bed. And you know what? You would have never known and he would have never known what he missed. You have no idea what hangs in the balance of your decision to trust, to surrender control, and let go. You don't. And it seems like such a small thing. Seems like it's simple. Seems like it's not that big of a deal. I'll just control this and ignore that and you know, do what I want to do. You have no idea what hangs in the balance. You have no idea the impact it would have on your family, the people closest to you, on your future, on your faith. You just don't know. You don't know what God wants to do in and through you. You don't know what you'll experience. If you surrender, you don't know what you'll miss if you don't. The only way to know is to go, it's to follow, it's to surrender control to the only one who has control. So you don't want to be your own worst enemy. You got to pay attention to your fears. Don't let fears drive your decisions. And you got to trust today. It's a preemptive habit because if you trust today and trust tomorrow and trust again, your trust gets deeper. And then when the really big fears hit, You've got a foundation of trust to help you navigate it. But it starts today. It starts tomorrow. It starts with whatever that thing is you and I want to control. Will we let go and surrender control to the only one who actually has control to begin with? Let me pray for us. Father, would you help us to be honest enough with ourselves and courageous enough to just see the fear and acknowledge oh, there's some fear rattling around in here and it's driving that decision and fear is really the reason I'm trying to control that fear is the reason I'm trying to control them fear is the reason I'm doing that making that decision using my money in that way help us to see it and then would you give us the ability and the courage to pay attention to those fears and just surrender control because you really are the only one who has control anyway. And to trust you. Because it's the only way we'll ever learn that you're trustworthy. So thanks for meeting us there over and over again and inviting us to trust because you just want us to lean in. And you want our relationship with you to be more personal. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you'd take a moment to rate and review this podcast, it would really be helpful. And if you live near our church, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about our phenomenal children and student environments, just visit us at journeycalway.com. That's journeycalway.com. Look forward to seeing you soon.